At photographycourse.net, you'll be able to swap your expertise with other photographers, make light instead of wishing for it, expand your portfolio, and receive feedback from professionals, all of which will develop your artistic eye. Photographycourse.net offers an abundance of premium courses and challenges for participants at every stage of their journey, from technical settings for portrait photography, to landscape composition tricks, to how to start your own photography business, we have everything you need to start shooting confidently. You can work at a pace that suits you. Our 52-week project challenge will provide you with the educational resources, encouragement, and support that you need to take great photographs every week. You can join us at any time as our themes are evergreen. You can also start by shooting every day and learning something new with our 365 Days of Photography course. Led by an industry expert who has mentored over 10,000 students, this course will help you take your photography skills to the next level with daily, bite-sized videos. Throughout the process of learning, you'll have access to a community that will provide you with inspiration and motivation. Get encouragement from other photographers every single day. Our current limited time offer comes with a special discount code exclusive to the listeners of this podcast. Get 50% off your first year as a premium member. Claim this discount by going to photographycourse.net and entering the coupon code PODCAST. Come join photographycourse.net and capture more than just a moment. This episode is sponsored by photographycourse.net. Our 365 Days of Photography course is now live. This is an amazing opportunity for you to grow as a photographer. My teammate, Kevin LJ, has produced this course in a step-by-step format, which is very easy to follow. He presents it in bite-sized lessons, each with a practical challenge. You'll learn and practice a new aspect of photography every single day. If you've been wondering how you can improve your photography without having to commit time to long lessons, this is the course for you. We've designed each lesson to be around five minutes long, and you can spend as much time on the challenges as you like. There's also a friendly forum where you can share the photos you take and get constructive feedback from others on the course. Kevin's professional photography experience is extensive. He covers not only photography essentials, but also many genres of photography throughout the course. You will learn far more about photography than simply how to use your camera. For our listeners, we are offering a very special discounted price of $99 instead of the launch price, which is $149. The final price will soon be $365, so make sure to take advantage of this great deal today. Go to greatbigphotographyworld.com slash 365 to claim your discount. Hello everyone, my name is Taya and I'm the host of Great Big Photography World podcast, where we interview notable photographers in the industry, give advice on a wide variety of topics, and provide tips for beginners and professionals alike. In this episode, I talk to Kai Harnung, who is a very talented landscape photographer with an incredible portfolio. When I saw his work for the first time, I was completely blown away. We talk about his editing experience, how he approaches landscape photography, and much more. Please enjoy. Hey Kai, welcome to Great Big Photography World Podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. Please introduce yourself to the listeners. Thank you so much for having me. My name is Kai Hornung, and I am a German landscape photographer living in Germany, Hanover, Germany, to be exact. And um, I happened to make my photography a side job. So full-time profession is uh, being a human resources consultant. And for almost five years now, I've been photographing landscapes 
yeah, it's uh, my my big passion, my hobby, and now also, like I said, my second job. Mm, that's really interesting. So your full time job, a human resource consultant, what does that involve? It usually involves <laughs> finding solutions for people. I work in a big company inside the um, finance industry, mm-hmm. and usually, I mean, um, w- with employees, you have to be consulting about contracts and if restructurings take place, you also have to consult and give some advice. So it's it's lots of talking. And pretty much every day feels uh, unlike the day before, which mm. keeps it exciting. Yeah, that's really interesting. And does that affect your photography in any way? Mm, it did in a way because uh, how I started with landscape photography had to do with my job. I was being an island, it was a business trip. Usually my, my main job doesn't require me to travel outside of the country, mm-hmm. but that time it did back in 2016. So I happened to be in Ireland twice and I had a camera with me and I started shooting the rugged seas of the Icelandic coast and fell in love with it. And that's when my landscape photography started. So yes, there is a connection. Wow, that's amazing. What a great story. must have been very exciting for you to discover that all of a sudden. Oh, yeah, it was. I mean, I was interested in photography before, but before that, it was usually documenting family travels, my kids, and sometimes experimenting with with things. But I've been a singer in a band for many, many years. started in my teenage days, and I still am a singer in a band. So being creative has always been a big part of me. I never considered photography turning into something more than just a click here and there. But once I was standing there at that coast and had a different awareness from where I am, standing outside in the rugged nature, that really inspired me. And I wanted to travel to other places. And so I did. And I started to look into how do I actually photograph and what what makes an image work. And I started to learn that. And well, now here I am. <laughs> oh, that's cool. So in a way, photography found you, right? In that specific moment. In a way it did, yes. I mean, with, with me, with uh, music, I've never been great with notes. And several months ago, I found out that Michael Stipe from uh, R.E.M., he said in an interview, he doesn't know notes either. So mm-hmm. I felt kind of relieved because <laughs> I always <laughs> felt like a loser in a band that I don't really know notes. I mean, I can play maybe six to eight chords on a guitar, but that's about it. Other than that, it had been um, intuitively. And every time I was doing my own vocal lines for for songs that we wrote ourselves, I usually had images in my mind. So it it kind of gets full circle now that I'm having images in my camera now. It's not that I have music in my head now, but uh, anyways, images or visualization has always been inside of me, I guess. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. That's really fascinating. Very cool that all of these interests of yours work together in a way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Really, yeah. What camera equipment do you use? I use a full-frame uh, Sony camera. It's the A7R Mark III. And, uh, well, several lenses that come with it from uh, ranging, uh, what's the widest, 14 mil mm-hmm. up to my 100 to 400 millimeters. So I, I think I get yeah, pretty much all covered in between with several different lenses. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite one? Oh, that's a good one. And it started being more wide 
And nowadays, my my main lens is probably the 24 to 105 because it just covers the range you, you happen to shoot most of the time. But the most fun I do have with my 100 to 400 millimeters, I think. Yeah, I would pick that. Mm. What do you mean by having the most fun? Because I can, I mean, obviously zoom into the landscape more and pick the frames, like the, those images that speak out to me instead of me um, like shooting those epic wide vistas. That's how I started. Uh, also with those more well-known locations. Nowadays, when I stand, let's say, for example, at a waterfall in Iceland, maybe a well-known one, once, uh, uh, there, there are several ones you can go to very easily, and those are usually highly touristic. And instead of going for that wide-angle shot that probably most people would, I try to zoom in and pick details. Could be just water cascading at a certain spot with light reflecting, or maybe a a little rainbow at the side of the uh, waterfall mm -hmm. and trying to to frame that. So in the end, some of my images, you, you, you even wonder, where was that taken? And if I tell people, well, it was that in that waterfall, they go like, what, really there? I, I was there, but I never thought of picking that frame for an image. So that's that's a lot of fun for me. So in the end, yeah, that specific lens is very helpful for that. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Speaking of waterfalls, one of my favorite images of yours is of a waterfall and there's a, a bird flying past mm -hmm. something. Yes. It's incredible. Where did you take that one? That was um, in the southern highlands of, of Iceland. Mm -hmm. I, I can't even pronounce the name. <laughs> but it, it's, it's, a, it's a place that once was called on the Internet, the Hidden Canyon. And usually when something gets called that on the Internet, it's a sure bet that it doesn't stay hidden anymore. <laughs> so if you look up the Hidden Canyon in Iceland, you probably find it. And I was hiking there with my a travel friend and partner, um, Mikkel Beiter. We stood there and there's usually a famous shot that just aims down the canyon with a waterfall in the back and on behind that a huge mountain. But I had it, my camera pointed it towards another waterfall just on the other side of that canyon, um, one that most people probably don't even photograph there and there were so many seagulls circling in the air and i just figured well try to get the right shutter speed for that waterfall so that you have some sort of motion in the shot but also capture this dynamic power of the water and when i found that shutter speed it was fast enough to even capture the flying seagulls in full flight so i, I put my camera in burst mode <laughs> And then just shot away whenever a seagull was flying around there, trying to get a, a good shot with the seagulls somewhere in position with that waterfall. Well, I didn't aim to have a seagull right like in this eye of the water. I, I'm more aimed to a image with the waterfall on the side and maybe the seagull right next to it. But I was kind of lucky to get that one. And yeah, that's also one of my personal favorites. Yeah, what an incredible story. And I will link to the photograph in the show notes. Definitely check it out. Thank uh, you. I was interested in seeing what it looks like, but it's truly, it's it's magical. And I wouldn't think that you photoshopped your images, but if I didn't know you when I saw that picture, I would think it was photoshopped. <laughs> mm -hmm. it, it, so I mean, photoshopped, most people call it like, uh, like saying it in a way that 
the image isn't real. Uh, I do Photoshop my images, which means just editing because I shoot in the raw format. So I usually pre-edit my images um, inside Lightroom and then head over to Photoshop because local contrast work and uh, also I, I significantly darkened the the frame of the of the image to mm -hmm. have the water really stand out, also enhance the contrasts of the water. And also, to be honest, that bird wasn't exactly in the in that water's eye. It was a mm -hmm. tiny bit more to the side. So I moved it like maybe a centimeter or, or two to the side to have it right on spot. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yes, in um, truth be told, it is photoshopped, <laughs> but the scene happened just like that. So uh, to me, it's still very real. Yeah, I don't think that counts, though. But thank you for your honesty. My <laughs> Photoshop no to, to take a bird from a stock photography. Website. Yeah. You know. That's a different story. I mean, I don't have anything against when people do that, actually, because I think it's an artistic decision. And if you feel like doing that, well, so be it. Also with uh, swapping skies. Uh, but I, I did that, too, in the past. And maybe I will do that someday again. Um, I just saw a new software that uh, does it very easily. And I, I would even uh, like to just try it for the fun of it. But I noticed when I edit my images, um, I don't feel the same satisfaction when I have my image finished and I know that I placed elements in there mm. that weren't there while I was shooting. It just takes away lots of the satisfaction of, yeah, of the image itself. So I, I stopped doing that. But I'm perfectly fine if others do it. It's, it's, I, I'm not one of those purists who say, well, you, you're not allowed to uh, alter anything. <laughs> I mean, I, I also check my images and if there's like, maybe um, a fence on the right side, which really kills the image for me, or if there's junk lying on the ground, I clone step that out too. So um, I, I try to be sort of artistic, but keep it as natural as, as can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that approach. And yeah, I'm also very inclusive when it comes to different editing styles. You know, whatever works for you creatively mm -hmm. is okay. You know, and I think it's... Mm -hmm different ways of expressing ourselves but i like exactly. to stay authentic to your landscapes it's nice that you do that uh, as you mentioned you're a landscape and fine art photographer the term fine art is difficult to define because it means something different to everyone so what exactly. does photography mean to you personally that's a good one good question and it's true i think everybody has a different um definition for fine art it it, it looks or it sounds like uh, it would be better or more quality photography than other and i don't think that it is but for me fine art photography maybe comes down to a quote that uh, minor white said way back in the past he said something like uh, one does not photograph something simply for what it is but for what else it is so taking an image a step further than what you actually just saw right in front of you or maybe pick a frame that gives a certain meaning or a new meaning or it leaves it abstract so that the viewer makes up his own mind in his own vision and that to me qualifies as fine art it's when um i i like it when people tell me well in your image i see this and that or it stimulates my mind in my i have images that pop up in my mind and um, I have like a, a movie playing along in my head when I look at that image and that to me ultimately is the biggest compliment because that means that it's there's something in your 
in your brain and it kind of sparks an idea, even if that goes way further than what you actually present in your image or what you maybe meant yourself as an artist, that maybe is a bit far-fetched <laughs> answer now to your question. But, uh, but that comes up to my mind when I think about fine art photography. No, I think it's a very eloquent answer. And I can relate when people look at my work and they tell me their interpretation of it. Mm -hmm. It's always a compliment because it means that they took the time to look at the picture for exactly. more than a second. And exactly. that's, yeah, fine art. Yeah, definitely. I agree with your definition of it because it makes a lot of sense. If, if something tells a story and makes someone feel something, and mm -hmm. creates these visuals in their head, then it's definitely fine art. I mean, yeah. we're not the ones to define the term, but uh, I think that pretty much sums it up. And it's also fine if, uh, fine, literally, if somebody <laughs> says, well, this doesn't speak to me. Nothing ever speaks to everybody. It's, there's no single movie that everybody likes, no single book, no single song. Um, I mean, some are more popular than others. That's fine too. But it's, I'm, I'm perfectly fine when some people say, well, this one, hmm, I don't know, doesn't really speak to me. I'm, I'm not a sad person when hearing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, everyone has different styles. And I think it's important to have thick skin as a photographer and not let yes. all these comments get to you. Because ultimately, it's about your story, the, the story mm -hmm. you're trying to tell. Yeah. yeah. On your website, you mentioned that you never stop learning, which I really like. What's the most important lesson you've learned about photography so far? That goes back to what you just said. Um, what other people tell you, because when you... Or when I started, which is probably the same experience like other people that started out with photography, you try to learn how to handle your camera and you try to follow the so-called rules, be it the rule of thirds or whatever. And so in, with landscape photography, place a foreground element there and then middle ground and then background and whatever. So it gets kind of formularic and um, you somehow started like having this checklist in your head. And what you're doing is you follow advice of others or what others tell you to do or what should be done. And I mean, when starting out, it's good to know those so-called rules or how I would call them recommendations. But I think the most important thing that I learned is at some point, drop all that. Also drop what other people think of your work or um, even if they do like it very much, don't pay too much attention to that. Because sometimes that can be misleading, especially in social media. When you post an image and maybe you're unsure if you like it yourself and other people start telling you, oh, that's so great. And mm -hmm. so it gets some sort of popular. Be self-conscious if you start liking the image more now because other people tell you to mm -hmm. or if it comes from within you. And so what I learned and what maybe is an advice for your listeners Try to listen to yourself. Would would and that's when my when I started to feel much more in balance with my photography. It's when I decided, well, do I like it for what? Why do I like it? Maybe I don't even have a specific answer sometimes why I like a certain image, and then that's fine too because I just feel it that way. And it's good if other people like it too, but that doesn't alter my own feelings towards that image, be it negative or positive. So. Um, Listening to yourself, I think that's the most important thing that I learned. And still, like I said on my homepage, uh, yeah, being curious and um, embrace failure. I, I try new things. Not all of them work, but that's fine. I see it as, a, as an artistic journey, and I, I just like being artistic. Um, okay. Some time ago, I was, 
I have a son who's 13 years old now. And just like I did when I was a, a little boy, he likes drawing. And I asked him, well, when are you the happiest? When you are finished with your image or while you're creating? And he looked at me and smiled and said, well, dad, I'm the happiest while I'm creating. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I smiled back and I said, well, I'm exactly the same. I'm the happiest while I create. I mean, of course, I like it when people tell me that they like my work, that they find it inspiring. Of course, that feels good. But still, in the moment while photographing or editing, it's, it's the same creativity to me. That's when I'm the happiest. And being aware of that, that keeps me in balance. And um, that feels, it just feels good being artistic and being, yeah, like being self-conscious about that. That's something I learned. And um, even helps me with my everyday life because I know how important being creative is for myself. Mm. That is a very beautiful answer. And I think it's good advice in general, but especially if you're going through a creative block and you feel mm -hmm. like you're just trying to please other people, which happens, it's normal, but ultimately it's about enjoying the process. I really yeah. like the idea of enjoying photography in the moment rather than waiting for the results. Exactly. I mean, usually you are your own worst critic. Uh, I know I am. Mm -hmm. And uh, those creative rots, they just come and go. And sometimes I look at my own work and say like, oh, that's all crap. What did I do? <laughs> and then I, and nowadays, I, I mean, I, I'm still frustrated that very moment. But I try to tell myself, well, it's good that you think your own work sucks, because that usually means you're evolving again. You, you look at your own work being more critical about it maybe um try to work things a little bit differently next time maybe be more aware of this and that and that ultimately probably helps with my next work still those moments suck i mean truth be told sitting in front of the computer usually in the evenings here after work days done and then trying to be creative because i like to be creative and then finding out i'm I'm pulling sliders back and forth and nothing happens. And I go to bed and I haven't edited an image that usually sucks, but that doesn't last for weeks. And that's, that's the good news here. Yeah, that is the good news. I understand that frustration. I think most of the listeners can relate to that as mm -hmm. well. It's just like a common problem. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's good that it doesn't last long for you. And I think it's just uh, a matter of reminding ourselves that we will have these failures sometimes and they'll just help us learn. And if our taste is evolving, then it's a good thing. Mm -hmm. And that usually happens or it hits you the most once that um, beginner's enthusiasm kind of gives way to a more maybe conscious approach when 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 you feel like, oh, I'm not learning that much now, uh, I've taken that shot already, then that's usually a huge plateau you're, you're reaching. And some people quit right there because mm -hmm. they don't find anything else. And I think it's a shame because uh, it's, it's just a major step forward you can take from there. Yeah. Keep, keep trying and then exploring. And sometimes it, doesn't, uh, it does mean, well, if you, if you photograph landscapes so far, may, maybe go for cityscapes or shoot food or cars or whatever. Just try something else for a change or watch a good movie. Sometimes that helps. Our 365 Days of Photography course is the ultimate learning experience for new photographers and even those with some experience. This course, presented in bite-sized lessons, teaches you step-by-step -step the essentials of photography and beyond. Get your discount code by visiting greatbigphotographyworld.com slash 365. Oh yeah. Oh, movies help a lot, honestly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean... 
I think, as you said earlier, we're our own worst critics. And sometimes, the at least in my experience, the criticism that I've given myself is, I can only be this kind of photographer. I can't try different things because it's too late, because I've been taking photos for 12 years in this genre. I'm not allowed to try something new. I think that's a common issue as well for photographers. So we have to remember that we have the freedom to be whatever we want to be in this moment, and that's okay. Absolutely. You also mentioned on your website that you shoot with a plan. Take me through one of your landscape photo shoots from the planning process to editing the results. Mm, I think that approach probably has also changed or put it positively evolved <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, earlier. I mean, it, it usually planning starts with online scouting, location scouting. That can be either by seeing an image that I like of a location that I find attractive. Several years ago, it was probably like, oh, this image looks great. Uh, I need to find that spot and, and shoot similar. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, um, I'm, I'm not going for one image because I would find that highly boring to just retake an image that has been taken and, and maybe hoping I get better conditions. Uh, so I, I look for, or if I see an image, I try to scan it in a way if there's potential in that area that I think, well, does that area look nice to me? Does that see, seem to be interesting? So I try to look up that place, be it either online with maps or even books and try to get uh, more information about that location. And then if that requires traveling, well, I, I have a huge collection of bookmarks on my Google Maps. <laughs> it's probably <laughs> thousands of locations there waiting for me to ever go there. Photographycourse.net is a place where you can find an abundance of photography inspiration in different forms like premium courses, articles, video tutorials, editing resources, and much more. We have a thriving community where you can meet new people, receive constructive criticism, and discover new ideas every single day. Here is a message from one of our top community members, Robert Morton. Hi, my name is Rob. I specialize in wildlife photography and landscape photography. I'm a member of photographycourse.net online community. I like the community because you get some fantastic ideas and some great feedback. So take your photography to the next level by clicking the link in the description. That's what I did and I haven't looked back. If you want to join our online community, go to photographycourse.net and enter the coupon code podcast to get 50% off your first year as a premium member. If, if I can, if I, if I have a chance to travel, I look up if, with apps like PhotoPills, see when there's sunset, sunrise, because that's usually a good, good time of, for, for, for some decent light. Mm -hmm. Although I'm not sticking to that that much anymore as I used to, because I'm, I try to not depend too much on conditions anymore, rather adapt to what, what I have right there. If, if the weather or the, the sky isn't good for a wide angle image, well, then uh, focus on something else. Maybe it's the moss on the ground that is awesome now because you don't have huge contrasts of the harsh light or you don't have a color cast, which happens in golden light. So maybe a completely overcast sky can do wonders. Also go into the forest and shoot there because then that light is awesome. So um, when planning that, I nowadays... I tried not to have any preconceived images in my mind. 
but rather check for uh, well, how, how will the weather be? Do I need uh, clothes to not get wet? What lens should I pack? Um, <laughs> do I need to bring some food and, and, and something to drink? That's probably what I plan the most. And I always end up bringing more gear than I need mm. because I hate the thought of being at a location and thinking, ah, I should have brought my tripod or man, I should have brought that in this lens and now I'm, I'm not having it. I don't like that feeling. So I usually end up taking my big backpack and having too much gear in there and walking around like a mule. <laughs> That's so, a good exercise though. Oh yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. And I can use that. I can tell you that after months of home office, I can use some tours with, with a heavy backpack for sure. Oh, I can relate. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like that. And when it comes to editing the results, that probably takes you a while to, to call the images, right? And to color correct them. Mm -hmm. It differs very much. I have some images. Just today, I, I uploaded a little series of uh, glacier aerials that I took in Iceland. And I didn't edit those much. In, I think they were... The quick edit for me is probably 15 to 20 minutes, I'd say. And yeah, once in a while, I still have an image that takes me really long, which would be several hours. That was more common when I started with photography. I spent a lot of time editing, probably because I didn't have such a huge catalog of images. And maybe the images lacked a good composition or great condition. So I tried to to enhance it with the editing, which now looking back is not the best approach to your work because you that approach just says you try to make more of it than it's actually in there. Mm -hmm. and I, I mean, that, that can work, but it's more satisfying if you have pretty much all you need in the image and then just edit to further strengthen that. And that most of the time doesn't take that long. So um, when I edit an image, I'd say nowadays, most of the time, it takes probably around f maybe 45 minutes mm -hmm. or half an hour to 45 minutes. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Well, it sounds fair. I like that. And I mean, I think in landscape photography, it really depends on place where you were photographing on the weather conditions but i think that's the fun of it you don't really know what to mm -hmm. expect when it comes to the editing right you you absolutely like that yeah. yeah and sometimes i like it to spend some time dodging and burning that image i mean that that can be a bit tedious but when you when you shape your image that way i mean that takes more and more and more time um i'm not willing to do that with every image because then it gets boring but once in a while I feel like, oh, yeah, I mean, let's let's do an image that I'm really working more like a canvas. And then that's fun, too. And well, in the end, it's about having fun, isn't it? I mean, since I'm not depending on it financially, uh, it's not my main job. So um, I have the freedom to to do an image just for the fun of it, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of finances, if you had the chance, would you take on photography as a full time job? I don't think so. I mean, I've. I've asked this myself, and when starting out, it felt like a dream of being able to do that. Also because um, the sound of being a professional photographer sounds like, uh, it sounds a bit sexy, and it sounds like you're on top of the game. <laughs> and, and I found out that, I mean, that just means you earn money with your photography. And uh, I, I do that too. And you don't need to be a full-time professional photographer to make world-class photography. 
Sometimes it's even much more helpful to not have any time constraints, to not have to follow any deadlines. Because as a pro, I mean, you you have to earn with your images. You, if you spend 10 hours editing one image, that's 10 hours away from earning money with other images. And you cannot do that too often as a pro. So in the end, if you master your craft, you can even produce maybe better work as an amateur than a pro because you don't have any time constraints. So once you realize that, that might get that monkey off your back. <laughs> and um, I, I could see myself maybe one day um, reducing my work hours, maybe instead of working five days a week from nine to five, maybe uh, just do it four, four days a week and then have one day for photography. But I know then I would have to do more professional photography work. So I'm not, I haven't really made up my mind if I want to go that road. But I know nowadays uh, it already takes up a lot of time to do the business side of things. And sometimes it's a real struggle to, to do that within 24 hours of a day. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, those pesky 24 hours yes. getting our way. <laughs> but I mean, don't you think if we had 34 hours, we would be complaining too? <laughs> because yeah. there's always so much to do. <laughs> I don't think we would ever stop complaining. Just no, we wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it's refreshing for you because you have this job that is unrelated to photography. And then as you do that job, you probably miss photography. And then... Mm -hmm. When you're taking photos, you probably maybe miss your job. I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but is that balance good for you creatively? I think it is. I mean, I, yeah, that balance shifts from side to side every day. And I mean, uh, honestly, there's days when you feel like it's completely off balance. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I'm just a regular human, like probably most of your listeners are. So, I mean, of course, I have shit days when I feel like uh, there's too much of that side of things. Too much, not too much complaining on my side here about the photography side of things, though. I, I would love to spend more time on that, but yeah, I'm a bit afraid if that becomes a job, if it might be losing something for me. So, coming back to your question, I would say I think it is a good balance as it is right now. Maybe with reducing hours would be even better, but for now, I think it's it's good. Yeah, that's what matters, that it works for you. And that's yeah. great to hear. Yeah. You have over 130,000 followers on Instagram alone, which is very impressive. Do you have any social media related tips for photographers who want to have better interactions on platforms like Instagram? I get asked that quite often. And I usually say, well, don't think about numbers too much, especially nowadays. I think the way Instagram shows or does not show your images to other people with their algorithm, it's completely out of my hands. So, of course, I could try to see what the famous Instagram accounts that have maybe millions of followers, aside from the um, VIP or the famous, I mean, actors or whatever, I mean, the more famous photography sites what they're doing, and then just reproduce what's already popular. I mean, that will float you on top. I mean, it's just like in music. Just follow the charts. You don't hear the top 10. You don't hear 10 completely different songs. It's usually a bit more cluttered and not the most creative stuff. So you can do that with photography too. If that makes you happy, go for it. 
make sure to have many reels nowadays because uh, there's rumors that Instagram favors reels even more than the still images. Mm. I like the fact that I have this many followers because it enables me to collaborate with companies more easily than if I had, let's say, 3,000 followers. But it doesn't get into my head and the creative side of things. Several years ago, I, I had a phase where I didn't grow anymore with my numbers. Back then, I really checked my numbers. Mm -hmm. And what I found out is, like I said in the beginning, it's out of my hand what happens on that app. So why even worry too much? I mean, I've seen colleagues and friends who, in a way, got burned out by the fact uh, that they were chasing those numbers, even to the point that they stopped Instagram altogether. So um, me, I decided back then, just share whatever you like. And then I started sharing more abstract and intimate uh, nature shots that I know won't be as popular on Instagram. And they are not. But what matters more to me is when people reach out to me that I feel uh, really care about it, that they write me personal messages or write in the comments that they like the work. That's way more important to me than the likes count. And I think in the end, it's how you give to your uh, audience, mm -hmm. meaning not only the images you upload, but also answer messages you get. I always answer every message, except when I feel like it's a computer-generated message with bots <laughs> or if it's any girls writing hi. And I usually know, well, uh, the link to any phishing site isn't far away that I just <laughs> straight out delete it. But other than that, I always reply. And with comments, I try to answer as many as I can. And I think that that makes you, I don't know, how can you say, maybe available or human or um, look, the, your audience knows you're just a, a regular person you can reach out to. And I think that's, that's helpful on a social media platform. And I, I also like that. Also doing stories, sometimes showing more of my personal life or me as a person than just my images. That also helps you connect with your audience. And if you also add quality content to it, I think sooner or later you draw attention to your work and people start following you and feeling it's worthwhile seeing what you actually do. Yeah, I really like that answer. Uh, it basically summarizes how I feel about social media as well, because in my opinion, it's about the engagement rate. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it's not about the amount of followers because there are so many people who they either buy followers or the followers lose interest over time. Yeah. So some people, you know, millions of followers, but they get very few likes compared to the amount of followers. Doesn't yeah. make sense. Exactly. But then with others, I was on this uh, uh, just random person's Instagram account recently. He's a Korean language teacher mm -hmm. and he has 400 followers, I think. And almost the same amount of likes on each picture, like 300 likes. And so that's a pretty good ratio. And you can see that his followers care about him and he cares about interacting with them. And it just really warms my heart to see that, that it's not just the numbers. It's more about the relationship you have with all of your followers. It gets really awkward uh, once you have a larger account, because I mean, looking at my numbers, um, I should start crying about the likes count because my, my average likes count is probably as high now as it was maybe two years ago. Mm -hmm. So if, if I would take that as a statement towards my work, 
I could just quit <laughs> because it would say, well, I didn't improve at all. But uh, I think I know that I did, <laughs> that not only with, with contests that got good results or people writing me, but it's just uh, there's so many algorithm changes and also Instagram trying to hide likes at certain countries, which ultimately leads to people uh, caring less about that. So, again, it's it's out of my hands. So why worry? And I think bottom line is ask yourself, would you still be photographing if nobody cared, if nobody would ever see your images? And if your answer is yes, then you, I think you're on the positive side because then you're creating out of inner motivation. If your answer is no, I do it just to show people or to get a response and get likes. I mean, then you're probably not alone, but then I think it gets tough at one time because then you highly depend on what other people tell you. And if that mood swings against you, that might be very frustrating. And most people ultimately quit someday. And when me personally, I, I know I would still be shooting and editing images even if I stopped sharing at all. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really good answer. Yeah, it's a, almost like a, some people might get an existential crisis if they ask mm -hmm. this question. Mm -hmm. But it's a very important one to ask because, you know, what if the internet didn't exist? What if we lived yeah. on some islands, a deserted island? Would we still exactly. take photographs? That's a really good question to ask yourself. And if you do give yourself an answer, sorry that you don't like, then it's a good way to realign with yourself as a photographer and yes. maybe change the way you approach photography because that's, that's possible at any stage in your journey. Very much so, yes. We talked about this a little bit beforehand, but you take a lot of beautiful photos in both famous destinations and places that are sort of hidden gems and people don't really know about. You mentioned that you make your landscape photographs look unique by using a zoom lens and actually picking out a location rather than just photographing it using a wide angle lens, for example. I'd like to know more about that and if you have any tips for people who want to take unique photographs of mm -hmm. famous destinations. My recommendation would be take the images you f you just feel like taking. And if that's the wide angle shot, I mean, I take them too. It's, um, I, I have one um, time in mind now. Last year in August, I went to Godafoss, which is one of the most touristic places in Iceland probably. Mm -hmm. Although it's in the north and people usually tend to go more south in Iceland, it's still a highly touristic area with... Uh, two huge parking lots on both sides of the waterfall. So uh, I went there with my friend and I was there the first time. And whenever I get to those kind of locations, I'm usually always amazed how beautiful they are. I mean, parking lot aside, <laughs> once you go to the specific location itself and stand right next to the waterfall, I am usually always in awe because it just it's just so beautiful and it's it's much more beautiful than you could ever see in any image. So uh, I feel the same excitement like probably everybody else does that goes there, like every other tourist. And then I, I happen to be a photographer and I like photography. So I take my camera and try to photograph. And in that specific waterfall, I also took a photograph, which is probably like most other people would photograph. I had the wide angle. I had a foreground element with a moss-covered stone in the water. I had the waterfall in the back and the light was awesome even with colored clouds. So that turned out to be a pretty nice image. I even uh, 
release that one, but it's not that unique because many other people photograph it. <clears throat> and after I had that, because I just felt the excitement of doing so, then I took my longer lens and then I tried to play around and I just looked through the viewfinder and I thought, well, oh, here, there's a, there's a nice edge where the water falls down. The light disappears on that side of the image. On top, you have the spray. It's lit up by the setting sun that looks pretty nice. Why not take an image of that? So um, I'm, I'm just curious and looking around. And sometimes even to the extent that I turn my, my camera or my tripod to the exact opposite side. I remember standing in, in a line with probably three or four other photographers um, at a location, something which I try to avoid most of the time because I prefer photographing more being alone. But I remember that one time I, I wasn't, it was probably a more famous location. And then I, I was looking there, I was enjoying the scene and I just looked around and, and turned my back and suddenly saw something that really excited me. So I, I turned my tripod and the camera to the straight opposite side. And the other guys looked at me like, is, is he nuts? What is he doing there? <laughs> and I don't even remember what I, what I photographed there, but it felt like yeah, I saw something that, that called out to me instead of me forcing an image. And that's something that I find personally unique. If that's unique to the viewer, I mean, that's ultimately up to the viewer's opinion. But to me, I would, I would recommend just stay curious and not have that one image that you want to take. Or if you do, take it and then move on and then try to play around. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, nowadays with digital cameras, just get yourself a SD card, which is large enough so that you can shoot several exposures of crazy things. Maybe even move your camera while shooting to get that instant camera movement or whatever. Play around, be playful like a kid uh, and see what happens. I mean, once you control your files back on the computer, you can always erase. But sometimes you, are, you might be surprised but by what you didn't really pay too much attention to while you were there, mm -hmm. but might really excite you once you're on the computer. Yeah, that's very good advice. I know that from my own experience when I take photographs and I just do something random and I don't care about it. That's usually the kind of photographs that I end up liking the most. Mm -hmm. I edit and it's it, ha it has some ease to it, doesn't it? Yes, it's the ease, I think, because when you're too firm and too stern and you have all these rules, and that's okay, uh, but if you have too much of that, I think sometimes you can end up limiting yourself and ending up yes. with the same kind of look. And it's just much nicer, in my opinion, to be a little bit spontaneous sometimes. Mm -hmm. Totally agree. You've traveled to so many interesting locations. Is there a specific place you dream of photographing one day? I would like to go to New Zealand once. Or Patagonia. And I still would like to go back to the US and photograph because the last time I've been to the United States was back in 2006, which is quite some time ago. Back then, I didn't, I, I only photographed as a regular tourist. And last year, I had plans to return to the States, this time on a photo tour together with um, travel friends. But well, then <laughs> the virus came and we had to cancel everything. But I would still like to go to the southwest of the U.S., Badlands, and also the, the forests in Oregon, places like that, or Death Valley. I, I would love to photograph that. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, those are all amazing places. And I'm sure you'll be able to visit them. And I look forward to seeing the pictures you take there. Thank you. <laughs> okay, Kai, my last question for you is, what is the one thing you'd like to achieve in this great big photography world? I would like to make a book one day. Mm-hmm. I, I've actually started writing last year, but I don't know if I'll ever be finished or if that will turn into a book one day. But I would love to to make a photo book uh, midterm, long-term, sometime. I don't know. That's one thing. Um, but I don't have any specific goal on what else to really, like, say, achieve. Mm-hmm. The one thing I'm focused on is in, enjoy what I'm doing. And I like the fact that I can earn money with my photography to keep my photography alive so that I can get gear or travel. That's just fine. So my yeah, bottom line, my, my biggest goal is stay on that journey, this road of being a creative and just keep on enjoying what you're doing. That's, yeah, and I need to listen to that in, in five or 10 years time and, and look back and see if I still do, but, I, but I, I'm pretty, pretty sure I will. That's yeah. my biggest goal. Yeah, that's a really wholesome answer. I like that very much. I mean, it's nice to have specific goals, like writing a book, of course, and I wish you the best of luck with that. But it's Thank also... You. It's also very nice to just have this general need to always be creative and mm-hmm. always be in love with photography because that's what matters at the end of the day, right? That you're still oh, yeah. photography. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Well, Kai, thank you for such an inspiring interview. I look forward to seeing your work in the future and I'm sure that the listeners learned a lot from you. Thank you so much. It was lots of fun. Thank you. I learned so many interesting and wonderful things about landscape photography thanks to Kai's stories, and I hope that you did too. I'm definitely all the more inspired to get into landscape photography now. See you next week. There's a simple reason why PhotographyCourse.net is the highest rated photography community in the world. It's because the people who use it made it that way. Why not join us right now? Improve your skills, get exposure, and discover an exciting new world of photography. While you're at it, claim your special discount code by going to photographycourse.net and entering the coupon code PODCAST to get 50% off your first year as a premium member.